So anyway, um, our speaker, she is a sweet lady. Her name is Laura Seifert, and um, she has two beautiful children. Their names are Ben and Beth, and she is married to her husband, Jason. And he is actually serving as associate pastor for Antioch Community Church in Friendswood, right here. Now, I want to tell you a short story. Before they served there, they served at Houston's First Baptist, and that would be at the um, satellite branch in um, Siena Park, so Siena Plantation. So anyway, what, uh, when they served there, they, um, he actually started that branch, right? He helped get it started. Yeah, that's what her husband did. They, they helped, you know, form that branch. So anyway, my son and their family, they worship there. And my son told me, he heard Laura speak, and he calls me on the phone. He says, Mom, you got to get this lady to come speak for you. She's awesome. And so I said, all right, <laughs> I'm on it. And so that is how we got connected. So anyway, Laura has been involved in ministry, serving our Lord for over 20 years. So that's pretty awesome in itself. She has a passion for teaching women and helping them access the profound truths of God's word. She is also founder of Yes Ministries. Now, Yes Ministries is um, it's a discipleship ministry, and that's in Houston, Texas. So anyway, she also teaches Bible studies online, and she enjoys speaking at numerous women's events and retreats each year. So now, would you help me to give a warm welcome to Laura Seifert? Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And I have to say, I, I had the privilege of teaching on Monday night at a different church. And there, it was a sanctuary of, that could seat thousands. And no one was there except for just a couple of us. They are on total lockdown. And these two sweet cameramen are like in the middle. And I'm talking and I'm trying to get some feedback. You know, it's hard when you're speaking to just a vast empty room. And so eventually one of the guys kind of pulled away from the camera and was nodding so that he was kind of throwing me a bone, just like, yes, we're with you, we're tracking. So it is a joy that some of you are actually able to be here tonight. So thank you. And those that are tuning in, I'm so privileged and honored to be here. Like Trish said, I'm Laura Seifert and I live in Friendswood with my family. I have been in ministry for a long time. That dates me. I feel so old. It's unbelievable. But I just have to say before we get started, just a question. What in the world is happening in our world right now? Let me just tell you how crazy this world is, if you don't already know. I picked out a mask. I went shopping for a mask that would match my outfit because I haven't really been out and I don't know that I've showered in four months other than this week because I had purpose to. That's not true. I have. But but I walked out on Monday as I was leaving to speak and said, which mask should I wear? Which is the cutest one with my outfit? And I thought that is the most bizarre statement to fall off, question to come off of my lips. So I don't know if you're like me, but there have been so many times in the last four months that I have really asked that question, Lord, what in the world is happening? What is the world that we're living in? Sometimes I have said to my friends, I feel as, as though the world is just on fire. That we're just, it, I don't know what is, it's just, it's just been crazy. So I don't know what it's been like for you. I have not been in church and had a live band lead me in worship in 20 weeks. In 20 weeks. 
And so that was the greatest joy. Lauren, thank you. Justin, he may have left the room. Too much estrogen here for him. Um, (laughs) And Casey, I don't know if you're here too, but y'all are amazing and that was fantastic. So that was such a blessing. I have just been processing a lot. And when we first shut down and everyone had a stay in place order, it was back in March. And I remember at that time thinking, oh, this is precious because all of my people are with me. I've got my kids and my husband's now working from home. And I thought, oh, this will just be great. It's like an extended spring break. And it was great. It really felt that way. And then they said, you know what, we're going to extend it a little bit farther. So not only are you not going to go back the week after spring break to school, but now we're going to push it out to April 13th. And then that got pushed out and pushed out and pushed out. And I don't know that we're ever going to go back. We say we are in August, but we'll see. And so precious, it just turned into just irritation for a while. I don't know if you have felt that way. But I remember there were a couple of times where I thought, just the breathing of my family is going to make me come out of my skin because we are so close-knit, so close-knit. And so while it has been wonderful, there have been some days that have been really hard. And I was thinking about this. I was talking to a friend of mine today, and I said, I think what is different about this than, I don't know, many of us were probably in this area when Hurricane Harvey hit Um, in 17, 2017. And there was something about that catalytic event that pulled us together. And it was like the, the rain came, the rain stopped, and then we all got to work together to rebuild. And what's different about this COVID experience to me is I don't know when it's gonna end. You don't know when it's gonna end. And rather than coming together to build something or to be solid, uh, solid together or build unity, I feel as though the world is more divided than it's ever been. We've got civil unrest in our country. I am a child of the 70s. I did not live in the 60s. And so this is new for me. This level of civil unrest has awakened me in a new way. But it has felt like our world is divided on every front. On every front. And if you're on social media, you can see Christians are divided on every front. And there have been many days that it has left me wondering, Lord, what is it that you're doing in our world? But what are you doing in me? And what do you want for me? And what do you want from me? How, how do we as Christians lead when the world seems darker than it's ever been? In my opinion, it feels darker. You know, you go everywhere and everyone's got their masks on and you can kind of see their eyes I don't know if you're going places, but if I go to the grocery store or I've got to go to Target if I'm going to stay sane. So every now and then I'll go to Target and you see people and in everyone's eyes, I feel like joy is missing. And there's just this underlying level of unrest, of anxiety, depression. I was leaving Target and a guy was just walking across the parking lot to his car and a lady came to a stop. It was not as fast of a stop as he preferred, clearly. And he just lit into her. And I just thought, Lord, we're, our heads are popping off everywhere. What do you want from us, Lord? What are you doing? What are you saying? And as I have prayed and pressed into that prayer, the thing that continues to come back to me is just the word love. Laura, would you just love me and would you love people? Just love. And I thought, I don't even know how to do that. 
how do we do that in our home, Lord? And he just has led me, and I've been marinating in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. And for many of us in the room, that's a passage of Scripture that is probably one of the most familiar. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard it read. But I want you like me, I want to come to it tonight with fresh eyes and open ears and open hearts. And would you just allow the Lord to speak a word over you and over me tonight through 1 Corinthians 13? I want to give you a little background of this passage. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was a big metropolitan city, Corinth was. And it was very diverse. You had Romans, Greeks, and Jews. You had a whole melting pot of people living there. Sound familiar? Not far off from where we're living. The church was about six or seven years old, they think, when he wrote this letter to them. And many people were getting saved and receiving spiritual gifts. And, but what Paul noticed and had heard what was happening is that divisions and fractions were starting among the church because everyone began to compare themselves to one another. And they began to think, my way is right, your way is wrong. No, that's not how we break bread and do communion. No, that they, anyway, this is not how we lead this. We don't do contemporary songs. We definitely stick with hymns. And they were arguing about all sorts of different things. And so Paul wrote a letter to them because he knew they were becoming sidetracked and they were getting off course. And he said, let's get back to the main thing. And the main thing is love. And so if you've read 1 Corinthians 13, you've probably read chapter 12 and chapter 14, and he's talking about spiritual gifts, but smack in the middle is chapter 13, and he kind of pulls us all together and says, well, wait a second, hold up, let me tell you what's the most important thing. So that's where we find uh, the backdrop of this, of this letter, of this particular chapter. So verse 1 of chapter 13, Paul begins to speak and he says, as he writes, he says, listen, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but if I don't have love, then I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. Verse 2, he says, if I speak God's word with power, revealing all of its mysteries. And if I make everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. You'll see in Christendom, in, in this Western culture, there's become this Christian celebrity thing that's happening. And sometimes you see who's got the biggest band and the biggest congregation, and, and who's got the, the, the pastor with the slickest hair and the skinniest jeans on. And you just think, what, we're losing focus sometimes. And Paul is saying, you can have all the power in the world. You can be the most powerful leader of the biggest megachurch or the biggest congregation or the biggest corporation. It doesn't matter. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. Those are big words because the church of Corinth was hitting their prime. They were in their sweet spot. They were rocking and rolling. And he knew this would kind of hit their jugular. And he meant to. He's trying to get our attention. So he begins to speak, if you have all the power, but you don't have love. And then he moves in verse 3. He says, and let's look at it from the other side of the coin. If I give everything I own to the poor. So we move from power to sacrifice. And if you even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but if I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. I can spend every Thanksgiving in a food line. 
I can give everything from my closet away. I can be burned at the stake. I can do everything. I can be at every time the church doors are open, I can be here with a casserole. I can attend every women's Bible study and every event. And you still may not have a transformed heart is what God is saying. These are powerful words. And he says, you can be burned as a martyr, but if I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, and no matter what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Bankrupt without love. You see, what I'm, what I'm seeing in the world, and you might be too, is that there's, there's so much noise happening right now and so many opinions flying around, not just about the political spectrum or landscape of the world, but also the Christian landscape. This is right thinking in theology. No, this is right thinking in theology. And Paul is saying, listen, you can think you're right about everything and you may be right, but if you don't have love, you've gotten nowhere. What is, where are we going? What is he talking about? He's talking about a transformed heart. I love when Justin read from Romans tonight and he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, that word mind means more than just your brain. It means your soul. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And one of the ways we've got to think differently is the most important thing is love. It matters more than being right. And it matters more than understanding. I don't understand the full picture, but I can know and believe and trust that God is love. So Paul lays this heavy weight on them, almost like a a fresh cold water in their face. And then after he lays this weight of conviction, he begins to tell them now, what is love? What are we talking about when I say, if you have, if you don't have love, you have nothing. So he begins to talk about what love is, but what's so important that we know about And we recognize is that Paul doesn't begin to describe a word called love. He personifies love. And so he describes love as a person. And if you know in Scripture, it's very clear that God is love. God isn't like love. God is not loving, although he is. God is love. God is love. And so when Paul begins to talk about love, he's talking about the attributes and the character of God himself. And so as I read through these descriptions and as Paul begins to personify love, I want you to think about that. Is that this is what he's saying God is. This is the God that we follow. He says, love is patient. It's long-suffering. That's what that word means. It's long-suffering. I have the threshold of suffering. I can, I got the bandwidth for about five minutes, it feels like sometimes. It says love is kind. Love is kind. There have been days that I don't know that my children could say that about their mom. They could say she's really kind of cranky. It says love doesn't want what love doesn't have. Love does not envy. Love doesn't boast, meaning love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. It's not arrogant or rude. Love does not force itself upon others. Another translation says love doesn't insist on its own way. I insist on my own way when we're just trying to pick a restaurant to go to. 
Love doesn't keep a score of the sins of others. It doesn't fly off the handle. It's not easily angered. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. It says love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It means it rejoices with the truth. Love protects. It always trusts. Love always looks for the best. It always hopes. Love never looks back, but it keeps on going to the end. It perseveres. And then he says, love never fails. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. And knowledge will reach its limit. But love will never die. Love will never die. When I think about that in my own life, if I'm looking at that list that Paul has just laid out, and if I'm viewing that as a Christian's to-do list, then I am totally defeated. Because I think oftentimes in our own life, when we sense God say, be loving. If you're like me, what, what I can translate to mean is, it's by grace that I've been saved. I've been saved not on my own merit, but it's been grace. I'm a sinner that came to the cross, received forgiveness, and got saved, and I got a seat at the table, and then I feel like oftentimes I buy onto this lie that it's up to me to keep that seat. And here's how I'm going to keep that seat at the table. I'm going to be a good Christian girl. And a good Christian girl acts right, behaves right, and does right. So I'm going to act loving. And even just describing that now, there's a finger going like this. And sometimes if we're not careful, that's how I interpret God. Be loving, Laura. Pull it together. Don't snap at your kids. Be more patient. Act like me. And if I think that's what faith looks like or walking with Jesus looks like, I am so burned out already and so defeated. I will not finish the race because that's up to me. It's up to me in my own strength to act like Jesus. Well, just I'm done. I'm done now. I'm exhausted even thinking about it. That's why Paul is saying love is kind. He's saying God is. That's who God is. God is love. He's long-suffering. He's kind. He's not arrogant or rude. He doesn't boast. So as I've sat in that over the last few weeks, it's helped me take a deep breath. But I do recognize this is hard, Lord. This is difficult for me right now because I have to believe you're at work, but it feels like the world is on fire and I can't leave my house and we're so restless. Lord, where are you? I don't really feel warm and fuzzy towards you. I don't feel your presence every morning like I would like to. Sometimes I feel like I'm just, I'm just barely getting by. I don't know if you feel that way, that you're just barely getting by. My mother-in-law passed away during, during this in April, during covid and I know some of you here have lost loved ones. And you've lost other things. We've lost uh, just so many things in our lives. And if you're like me, there's been days where it's been hard to experience the presence of God. And so I can read this. This is who you are, God. But right now, I feel like I'm just barely holding on. And what I love about the Lord 
is when you and I come into relationship with him, covenant looks like this. It looks like this grip. And there are times in my life and in yours where we fall away, but his grip never loosens on me. He never lets go of me. I am held no matter how I feel. I am held and I am loved and he is long-suffering with me and he is patient and he is kind and he is not disappointed when I struggle. And he's not disappointed when you struggle. And he's not shocked. So if I read that list, and I think that's a to-do list, I'm totally defeated. But Paul, in his wisdom, goes on to say, as he's inspired by the Lord, he says, now hold up. Before you hang your head low, let me validate what is true. He says, now, in verse 11, he says, we know only a portion of the truth right now. And what we say about God is always incomplete. We know only a portion of the truth right now. And what we say about God is always incomplete. Why? Because our little finite minds can't understand it all. But when the complete, capital C, he's talking about Jesus. When the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. Verse 12, he goes on to say, here's the thing, y'all. He doesn't say that part. I just said that. But he says, we don't yet see things clearly. We don't. He says, I get it. We don't. He says, right now, we're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. Do you feel that way? I feel that way. We're squinting. And when the world heats up like it does right now, I'm going, Lord, where are you in the midst of this chaos? Where are you in the midst of my heartbreak? Where are you in the midst of my suffering? Where are you in the midst of my waiting? Where are you? And he says, I understand that. It feels like you're squinting through a fog, peering through a mist, grasping for some glimpse of the God that is love, grasping. I want to tell you tonight, if you are in that place tonight, you are not alone and God is not upset with you about that. Take a deep breath. You have not failed God. Your faith is not faltering. God's faith, I mean, God's got you and he who began the good work and you will complete it. Faith is a gift. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Your struggle is not in vain. God is at work. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. And he has not forsaken me and he has not forsaken our world. But it is hard. And I think for all of us, this is a particularly hard season of life. And so as Christians, there are men and women and children in this world that are walking in darkness. And they are looking for truth looking for some hope. And if I think that my transfer of hope is going to be in my own strength, if I've got to somehow pull myself up by the bootstraps and act hopeful and act loving, well, I'm doomed and they're doomed. And God is saying, I've never asked you to transform yourself in your own strength. I've never asked you to do that. I have given you the Holy Spirit. I have taken residency up inside of you and I will do in and through you what you cannot do in and through yourself. But know this right now, it's not gonna all make sense. There are going to be hard seasons where you're squinting and sometimes it's it's cloudier than other times. 
And in his grace, he gives us those moments and seasons when he peels back the fog and we get a clear picture and a clear glimpse of him. But just because it's hard doesn't mean he's farther away and just because it's good doesn't mean he's closer. He can't get closer to you. Our circumstances don't dictate his goodness. They don't define his goodness and they don't define his trustworthiness. The cross has already defined that for me and for you. And so Paul is validating though that it is hard and it is unclear and it is cloudy and it does get foggy. But here's what he goes on to say that I love. He says, but thank the Lord that we have a but in this verse, this passage. But hold up, he says, it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright and we will see it all then. See it as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. Another translation says, we will fully know God just as we have been fully known by him. The day is coming when the clouds will part and the sun shines bright and it will all make sense. I mentioned to you earlier that my sweet mother-in-law died in April after a long battle with health and it was it was very uh it was very painful and my husband's a pastor and we drove to Georgia for her funeral and we just had a small group of us just family in this small little country church in backwoods Georgia and Jason loved her so well and loved her to the very end and I said Jason that's my husband I said I just want you to be a son at her service. I don't want you to feel like you've got to be the pastor. Would you just, just let me do the eulogy? Just let me do the service so that you can just be present. And he was gracious and said, that would be great. And so I began to pray and ask God, and and Jason's, my mother-in-law's name is Cookie. That's what we called her. And I thought, Lord, tell me, tell me what to say. What do you want me to say about Cookie? And what would Cookie want her family to know? And I came right to this, the end of this passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, because I thought the most beautiful thing about Cookie is that she's in the presence of God right now. And it, I always picture, because my dad died very suddenly about seven or eight years ago, and the thing that gave me such peace and the thing that gave me great peace with Cookie is I thought as soon as they stepped into out of this life and into the next, there was probably a gas of, I get it. It's really true. It's really true. He's really real. And he's loved me this whole time. Cookie was one of those, she'd lay down in front of a train for you kind of women. A woman of few words, but she was just beautiful in the sense that she just loved sacrificially. But I don't know that Cookie ever really understood how deeply loved she was. I think if you ask Cookie, she probably, she was a single mom trying to raise three kids, working full time. I think if, and I did ask Cookie, I think a lot of times she'd say, I should have done more, wish I could have shown up to more ball games and more recitals and more things. I wish I could have been all of those lies that we bite on in our head. 
And what Paul is saying is while we look dimly right now, the day's coming when it will all make sense. And it won't just make sense that God is real and Jesus is the Lamb of God. And yes, it's all true. Our faith will be realized. But what we'll also understand is he's loved me all along. He's not a checks and balances God because of the blood of Christ. And so the best thing you and I can do if we are called to be lights in this darkening world and if we are called to extend love to our neighbor is the best thing we can do is receive that love first. You know when you're on an airplane and they do all the, you know, this and that and all that and none of us really listen to it. The only thing that we see is when the mask comes down and they say, now if you're with a child, your instinct will be to put on that oxygen mask to the child first, but put it on yourself first. That's the best thing you can do for the child. You cover your mouth yourself first, start breathing, and then take care of your kid, which seems counterintuitive to us. The same is true in walking out our Christian life. If we are going to extend love, and the greatest um, commandment is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And we cannot love without first receiving it. God, God is very clear when he says we love because he first loved us. And so my challenge to you and my challenge to me is would you just receive his love for you again? Would you just receive it anew? Would you take all of the things that you have said to yourself in the last hour that may be self-condemning thoughts, would you take those and go, those are a lie, and eh, what is true? I am loved. I'm a child of the Most High God. I am totally accepted. I am fully known, fully seen. He has never left me. He will never forsake me. He is long-suffering with me. He is patient with me. He is kind. He delights in me. He knit me together in my mother's womb, and all the days are ordained before one of them has come to be. Nothing has caught him off guard in my life. He's using every struggle, everything in my life to work itself together for good. Would you just begin to believe that afresh? And if it's hard for you to believe that, that's okay. There's a dad in Mark chapter 9 who says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. How do I do that? How do I connect with Jesus anew? How do I receive his love? One thing that's been really great for me of this season is I've just found myself kind of marinating in the Gospels. And I'm just picturing how Jesus interacted. I'm reading it again. How did he interact with the woman in Samaria when he was walking through? He didn't have to stop at Samaria, but he did. Samaritans were hated because of their race. They were seen as dogs. And Jesus said to his disciples, hang on just a second, y'all. We're going to stop here just for a little bit. And he sat by this well at high noon. The whole time he knew what he was doing. And he sat there and he waited for this woman who was ostracized in her community because of her race and because of her life choices. She'd been married five times and was currently living with a man that wasn't her husband. And for those reasons, she didn't have the privilege of community with her girlfriends. They would always go to the well at the cool of the morning. She was ostracized, so she had to go by herself. So she walked alone and isolated most of her life. And that's who Jesus pursued. That's who Jesus went out of his way to sit by a well and meet. 
And when he did, he looked right into her heart. And he said, not only do I know it and see it, but I love you. I'm forgiving you. Now go and change the world. And she did. She did. Her whole community came to Christ. The community that ostracized her. That's who I want to be. I want to be like that, Lord. Would you change my heart? First, Laura, you have to see that you also are the woman at Samaria. First, you have to recognize that you yourself have been saved. That you yourself have lived a lifestyle not pleasing. That you yourself need a Savior. Would you tap into that afresh, Laura? I've loved you just like I've loved her. Zacchaeus, the man that betrayed all of his friends, wasn't trustworthy at all. Climbed up in a tree, I think one, because he was short, but I also think because he wanted to be anonymous, just so he could get a look at Jesus. And Jesus is walking through his town, and he stops intentionally, and he looks up. And the first thing that he does is he calls Zacchaeus by name. He was not called by name in his town. He was called traitor, liar, loser. He said, come on down and I'm going to break bread with you in your home. Who does that in our world? That is so countercultural. Jesus does. And so I've got to first go, Lord, you've loved me like that. I remember when I was in college and I first connected to that level of love. And it felt like a washing over me. Lord, you've loved me in my worst and you've loved me at my best and you love me the same both seasons. You just love me. So my first challenge for us tonight, ladies, if we're going to lead out in this dark world that we live in and we're called to, we are ambassadors, men and women and children are looking to believers. Where is hope? It is living inside of me and I am going to project it. The first thing I've got to do is stay tethered to love. Stay tethered to Jesus. How do you stay connected to Jesus? Is it in your car when you're by yourself and you can turn on worship music? Is it in the morning in that one chair that you love when you can just get quiet? Is it when you get out and you get to walk and you're in nature? How do you get alone and stay connected and can reconnect to the love that loves you to no end? You, we've got to do that on a regular basis. Otherwise, we will have nothing to give. And then when we do that, when we bask in his love and reconnect to the lover of our soul, then we turn around and go, Lord, who do I need to love today? Who do I need to love today? I'm not leaving my home, and so who do I need to text or call? What do you, what do you want me to do, Lord? The last part of this passage, Paul says, after in verse 12, he has said, we see, clear, we see dimly, like peering through a fog, but we will see clearly one day. And he says, but for now... Until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. He says, three things, trust steadily in God. Stay tethered to the vine, girls. Stay connected to Jesus. How you've how you got to do it, stay connected. We all connect relationally different, differently with him. But stay in the word and connect with him. The second thing Paul says is hope unswervingly. Scripture says we don't grieve like those without hope. The day is coming when the weather clears and the sun will shine bright. And until that, stay 
um, unswervingly onto hope. We've got to cling on to it. And the third is love extravagantly. Love extravagantly. And then Paul ends and says, but the best of these three things is love. The most important thing you and I can do is love. So how do you want me to do it? It's been interesting for me. I've tried to just, in this season when I don't have access to people and when I see them, I can't hug them and we're all kind of hunkered down. My prayer has been, Lord, would you just quicken my mind and my soul to your spirit so when you give me a nudge, would I respond to it? When you give me an idea or a, a thought to love or to care or to reach out to someone, Lord, would you, would you enable me to do it? Would I obey quickly? And Bob Goff is a Christian author and speaker, and I was listening to a podcast with him, and he's, he wrote a book called Love Extravagantly, and he said, or Love Does, and then Extravagant Love, I think, is the second book. But he was talking about when he has an idea to step into a need or to help someone, he says, the idea will come, and then my second thought is typically one of insecurity or fear. So the idea will come, and then the first reactive thought is, oh, no, I probably shouldn't do that. That, no, okay, that's just, that's just gas. That's not the Lord. I'm just going to move on. And he says, but if you'll wait and go to the next thought, that's usually where courage will come. And I thought that really struck me because I thought, I think I've had a lot of missed opportunities in my life because just of insecurity. And so not long ago, I live in Friendswood, and like any good small southern town, there's a Sonic on Main Street. And so I drive through this Sonic every day. I get the same drink. I, every day I drive through this Sonic. And so those that work there, the workers at Sonic have become very dear to me. And there's a few of them that I talk to. Usually it's at least a 10-minute trip for me because I sit and I talk to them and we just converse. And I was driving through the drive-thru about a week ago. And one of my favorite employees is at the drive-thru window. And I said, how are you doing today? And, oh, my goodness, he was so dejected. And I was like, what is going on? I said, he was like, I'm all right. And I was like, that is not very convincing. What's going on? And he said, oh, he just was so sad. And he said, my sister just died suddenly last night of COVID. And I was so heartbroken. And I just said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm, I mean, I have to drive through and there's cars, you know, three or four deep behind me. And I can't sit there and I can't get out and hug him. And I couldn't, I didn't know what to do. And I just drove off and said I was sorry. And I thought, Lord, what? What can we do? What, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to love him? And immediately I had the thought, just text some of your friends that you know regularly go to and see if you can pull a little bit of money together, together to help with services, maybe to help, to help in this time of need. First reactive thought was, don't do that. People are going to feel awkward. They're going to feel like they've got to. And if they don't give and they're, Neah! and then if they see you and they didn't give, that's going to be weird. So my first thought was, don't do it. But I went to my second thought, and I thought, no, do this. I think the Lord's asking me to do it, so I'm just going to trust you, Lord, and I'm going to do it. So I shot a text out to seven people. Seven people. Didn't say, let's all give 10 bucks, 20. I, I didn't know. Um, I just said, would you be willing, and if you'll Venmo me, I'll go to the bank and get cash, and I'll put it in a card, and I'll sign our names, and I'll take it to him this afternoon. In less than two hours, I had $1,100 for him. And these aren't rich people. 
$1,100. And I just sense the Lord saying, he needs to know I see him. And you need to know that I'm faithful. When you step out in obedience and you do something I ask you to do that's loving extravagantly, I'm going to meet you. I'm not going to let you fall. And so I did just that. I gathered up the money and I went with another friend and we drove through the drive-thru again, second time that day. And I handed him a card and he thought, oh, that's sweet. It's just a condolence card. Not that it's just a condolence card, but he just wasn't, you know, he's very sad. And I said, no, I need you to open it now. Because I thought, he's going to set that somewhere and he's going to forget it. And there's $1,100 in $50 bills in there. So you need to open it. And so he opens it and he sees it. And it, it wasn't about the money. I think it was just, it was a tangible way for him to understand God sees me. And he just began to weep in the drive through at Sonic. And I just said, I just, you need to know that you're not alone. And you need to know that God sees you and loves you and he's not left you. And this is hard. But there's a God that's got a grip on you. And the Lord used me, me, to get to do that. And I would have missed it. I would have missed it. We are in unprecedented times, personally and globally. And we have the privilege and the honor to be light in this dark world. And we can't do it if we're not tethered to love himself. You are loved tonight. You are seen. He is so pleased with you. He delights in you. He's not disappointed. He's not hoping you get it right tomorrow. He loves you. And he's asking you to give that love away. Let's be women of courage that receive it and then give it away. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. Even on days when we are frazzled and tired and confused and sad, the Spirit in us loves you. Our flesh is weak, Lord. And so I'm asking Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you strengthen us in our inner man? Would you cause us to know that we know that we know that we are loved by the Most High God, that we are intimately seen and loved by you? And then, God, would you give us the exciting, thrilling privilege of loving those around us? We ask this for your glory and for our great blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.